RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Steve Dunthorne. Tonight's headlines. Businesses prepare to reopen as Hong Kong reports four new imported COVID-19 cases. A police sergeant is arrested in a drugs bust at a Shimsha Choi Hotel. And a deadly gas leak hits a South Korean-owned plant in India. Venues that will stay closed for at least two more weeks as part of the government's social distancing measures are crying foul, while those allowed to reopen at the stroke of midnight are now gearing up for a return to business. Wendy Wong reports. Bars, gyms, cinemas and beauty parlours are among the businesses that are set to reopen, though they will still have to observe restrictions such as keeping the venues at half capacity and taking extra health precautions to minimise the risk of coronavirus infections. Some cinemas were already selling advance tickets, though the vice chairman of the theatre's association, Choi Hin Wai, says he's not expecting a large number of people at first, as the entire global movie industry remains at a standstill. But he believes cinemas goa will comply with the mandated hygiene measures. Some seats have been blocked off and a maximum of eight people will be allowed to sit on each row. Similar arrangements will be taken at gyms. Equipment will have to be spaced at least 1.5 metres apart or have some form of barrier between them. A manager at the Thai Koo Gym told RTHK this should be manageable. Buck acknowledged it would be very difficult to separate gym goers into groups of eight, saying it's hard to control where they go. It was a different story for operators of bathhouses, party rooms, nightclubs and karaoke lounges that will have to remain closed until May the 21st at the earliest. The Massage Establishment Association complained that it was unfair that bathhouses must stay closed, even though massage parlours are allowed to reopen. Hong Kong has reported four new imported cases of COVID-19, all of them recent returnees from Pakistan. That also means there hasn't been a local infection for 18 days now. Meanwhile, health experts have revised their criteria for discharging patients. Another patient has tested positive after being discharged, raising the total number to 10. Here's Dr. Chuan Shikwan of the Center for Health Protection. The patient has to be stayed in the hospital for at least 10 days after the onset of symptoms. So this is an additional criteria in addition to the previous criteria of two consecutive negative um, specimens. If in case the patient has stayed in the hospital for a long time, it's more than uh, 10 days since the onset of symptoms, but um, he or she has persistent PCR positive despite the CT value is very high, they can check the zero, um, uh, serology, the antibody. So if the antibody turns positive, usually it's after 10 days, then he can be discharged. A police sergeant is facing suspension after he was arrested in a drugs bust at a hotel in Chimcha Choi during the early hours. Timmy Sung has more. Sources say detectives arrested a station sergeant during a raid at a Simsachi hotel. He was found carrying two kilos of a drug ice. Several people were also detained in the operation and were being questioned. RTHK has learned that the sergeant was part of a team of detectives who, last week, busted a syndicate said to have stored 269 kilos of ice at a shop in Jordan. The haul, worth some $158 million, was the largest ever of the drug since records began in 1991. Sources say officers were investigating if the two cases are related. At least 11 people have been killed and hundreds sent to hospital after a gas leak hit a chemical plant in the Indian state of Andhra Pradesh. The factory making polystyrene products is run by South Korea's LG Chem. Local officials say the incident happened during the early hours. 
when most families were asleep. The BBC's Yigita Limai has been getting more details from relief officials there. They were asked how many people in hospital are actually in a critical condition and they said that there were about 20 people who were in intensive care units, uh, some of them on ventilators. What we've been told also that they believe is that a thousand people were directly exposed to this gas which leaked at about 3 a.m. local time. Uh, the leak was traced back to a factory which is owned by LG Polymers. Uh, the South Korean company in a statement to Reuters has said that they're investigating what caused the leak and uh, they also said that it's been contained. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is just coming up to five minutes past 11. The Civic Party lawmaker Dennis Kwok, who's under fire for filibustering the election of the House Committee chairperson while presiding over the meetings, says external legal advice sought by the pan-democratic camp concluded that he had acted in accordance with LegCo's rules. The external legal advice was provided by a team led by Bar Association Chairman Philip Dykes and University of Hong Kong law expert Johannes Chan. It contradicts the external advice sought by LegCo President Andrew Leung, which cleared the way for the DAB's Starry Lee to take over the proceedings. Mr Kwok said their advice was very similar to that provided by LegCo's legal advisor earlier. They say on the proper interpretation of the rules of procedure, the House chairman can only deal with the election of the next House chairman um, as the only agenda item. And it is not for her to exercise the full powers of the House committee chairman until he or she is properly elected by the House committee. And they are of the view that the way I have been handling a meeting is within the rules of procedure and within my powers, and I have not acted ultra-virus. The House Committee will meet tomorrow to choose a chairperson. A 39-year-old construction worker has been sentenced to four months in jail at Kwantung Magistracy after pleading guilty to attacking a man in an argument over a Lenin wall in Chungkwano last year. The defendant was removing posters from the site. In sentencing, Acting Principal Magistrate Ivy Choi said the items used in the attack, an umbrella and a broomstick, were deformed, indicating that he had used considerable force. The victim sustained injuries to his arms and forehead. Taking into account the defendant's criminal record, the magistrate said a custodial sentence was necessary. Ousted pro-democracy lawmaker Lao Xulei has launched a legal bid to try to overturn the results of the Kowloon West Legislative Council by-election in 2018. As Priscilla Ng reports, she says she was unreasonably barred from running because the election official never gave her a chance to explain her political views. Lao Siu Lai was unseated from the legislature in 2017 for improper oath-taking, and that triggered the Kowloon West by-election in November the following year. The democracy groundwork politician had originally intended to win back her own seat, but she was disqualified from joining the race after a returning officer ruled she had not genuinely changed her stance calling for democratic self-determination. However, Ms. Lau said the returning officer had not given her a chance to defend herself and therefore filed for an election petition. She was represented by senior counsel Paul Shea at the High Court, who argued his client could very well have repented and changed her political stance after the oath-taking saga. Mr. Shea said his client was denied due process and the flawed vetting process amounted to a material irregularity. 
All candidates must have a right to defend themselves, he said, as the constitutional right to elect or be elected must be well protected. But the government's lawyer, Johnny Mock, argued that the court had already ruled in the 2017 oath-taking case that Lao had failed to comply with the constitutional requirements for election. He said the court decision has a lingering effect that could not be easily superseded, and that gave the returning officer a basis to make his decision. Judge Anderson Chow has reserved judgment for a later date. Pro-government candidate Yan Chan ultimately won the by-election over veteran pan-democrats Li Chukyan and Frederick Fung. People who rely on food banks to meet their daily needs are feeling the pinch as part of the economic fallout from the COVID-19 outbreak. According to Emma Choi of the food bank People's Service Center, the economic slowdown has led to a drop in donations by businesses. They purchase less amount of food,、mm. and together、um, we actually、uh, collect some of the unused food from the airlines. But there are many flights has been suspended.、Mm. That's why、uh, we can collect less from them. The chief executive of the Hong Kong Exchanges and Clearing, Charles Lee, is to step down after more than ten years in the role. He had informed the board of his intention not to seek reappointment at the end of his contract in October next year. A selection committee has been formed to find a replacement, led by Chairwoman Laura Char. During a news conference, she said Mr. Lee's departure had nothing to do with the bourse's failed attempt to buy the London Stock Exchange last year, and Mr. Lee was tight-lipped about his next move amid rumours that he would take up a new role in the public sector. You know, we're basically business as usual.、Uh, we're facing with unprecedented level of challenges around us, and so therefore focusing on overcoming those challenges, managing the company, pushing us us forward strategically. Remain very much the same.、Uh, with respect to what to do in the future, I don't really know. And、uh, all I know is that、uh, I will have more time to play football. Turning overseas, the United Nations is launching a new appeal for nearly seven billion U.S. dollars to help stop the spread of the coronavirus in the world's most vulnerable countries. In March, it issued an appeal for two billion U.S. dollars, but it says needs and costs are growing. The BBC's Lise Doucette has more details. In many of the world's most fragile states, the peak of the disease is not expected for another three to six months. The UN's humanitarian chief, Mark Lowcock, is calling on donors to act in solidarity as well as self-interest to avert the threat of significant rises in conflict, poverty, and hunger, including multiple famines. If the world doesn't act now, he warns, it would have to deal with the consequences for many years, which would be far more painful and much more expensive for everyone. The cruise ship at the centre of a criminal investigation about the spread of the coronavirus in Australia has arrived in the Philippines. In March, the ship allowed passengers to disembark in Sydney, despite some exhibiting flu-like symptoms. More than 600 people on board the Ruby Princess tested positive for the coronavirus, and 13 died. Here's the BBC's Howard Johnson. 
The Ruby Princess arrived here in Manila Bay around 8 o'clock and at the moment we've seen a helicopter flying over to pick up paperwork from the ship. What will happen next is the crew on board, around 400 from all around the world, 200 of which are from the Philippines, that they're all returning here at the moment, 13 ships in the bay. They will then have to undergo 14 days of quarantine inside their cabins, then they will be tested and if they uh, test negative for COVID-19 they'll be allowed to return to shore. Now, I've been speaking to lots of different crew members who say they're mentally exhausted from being out at sea for so long. An inquiry has concluded that Australia's most prominent Catholic, Cardinal George Pell, knew about child sexual abuse in the 1970s, despite claiming he did not. Cardinal Pell was acquitted on appeal last month of sexually abusing two choir boys. The BBC's Phil Mercer reports. Cardinal Pell, a former Archbishop of Melbourne in Sydney, had denied knowing about child abuse in the Catholic Church. But a Royal Commission, Australia's highest form of inquiry, found it was implausible he wasn't told about the crimes of paedophile priests by senior church figures. Previously censored papers have been tabled in Australia's federal parliament. They show the Commission rejected an allegation the Cardinal offered to bribe a victim of abuse to prevent him from speaking out. To sport, the first known local athlete to test positive for COVID-19, Lee Chun-ho, has been discharged from hospital after nearly two months of treatment. Writing on his Facebook page, the Hong Kong Karate team member expressed his gratitude to hospital staff and thanked people for their support and encouragement. The 28-year-old has twice tested positive, both times after results had come back negative. Lee said his recovery had been stressful and challenging, adding he now hopes to enjoy life for a little while, a little while before resuming training. Lee first tested positive on March the 18th, three days after returning to Hong Kong from competitions in France and Austria. German football officials now say the Bundesliga season will resume on May the 16th in empty stadiums with the final round of matches set for the last weekend in June. It's the first European league to restart following the coronavirus shutdown. More from the BBC's John Bennett. The German government were convinced by the league's detailed health and safety plan, which included the need for around 20,000 tests for players and coaching staff. The clubs have always made it clear that finishing the season was crucial for their financial survival, with a huge amount of TV money at stake. They've now been given the green light, despite 10 positive cases of coronavirus amongst players and staff in the top two divisions since widespread testing began at clubs on Thursday. Most clubs in the top flight have nine games left to play. Bayern Munich have a four-point lead at the top of the table. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Businesses prepare to reopen as Hong Kong reports four new imported COVID-19 cases. A police sergeant is arrested in a drugs bust at a Chim Sha Choi hotel. And a deadly gas leak hits a South Korean-owned plant in India. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's News Wrap programme. A Hong Kong food bank says that the amount of goods it collects from businesses has dropped by half during the COVID-19 pandemic. Demand, on the other hand, has doubled. 
The People's Service Centre said before the outbreak it collected up to 60 tonnes of unsold food from wet markets, bakeries and food suppliers each month. But the charity said it stopped taking in food from wet markets and bakeries due to hygiene concerns, while the amount of pre-packaged and frozen food donated by other suppliers has fallen. RTHK's Benjer spoke to the group's project officer, Emma Choi, about the problems it's facing. We usually take some leftover fruits or vegetables that is being unsold in the bakeries and also the wet market, but they are all unpacked uh, before. So um, after the pandemic, we are afraid that there will be some hygiene concerns because we cannot control the wet market vendors or passersby or whether they wear masks or they have uh, used like uh, hand sanitizers, etc. So we stopped it, the wet markets and also the bakeries collection due to the hygiene concerns. And also uh, because we want to secure our volunteers and also staff's safety, so uh, we also stopped it the wet markets and bakers collection. As I mentioned earlier, the amount of prepackaged and frozen food donation donated by suppliers has also fallen. Is that because businesses are less willing to donate food now? Um, actually, some suppliers, they are still willing to donate food, but because for the economic downturn, the food amounts that they can donate uh, decreased after the pandemic because they like a purchase less amount of food and together um, we actually uh, collect some of the unused food from the airlines but there are many flights have been suspended that's why uh, we can collect less from them and what about the actual demand from food why has that gone up Actually, um, we have collected like uh, 60 tons every each month, but there are 30 tons of decrease uh, since the pandemic. But is the increase in demand due to perhaps people um, losing jobs or actually not being able to afford food? Yeah, this is the major reason because there are some uh, applicants, they would like to join our service and they will tell us that um, they are um, unemployed or some of them, they need to take no pay leave. And some of them uh, even cannot uh, find new jobs. Or So um, most of them are suffered from uh, unemployment. Hmm. And um, what is your group doing at the moment to tackle this situation then? Um, actually, um, we still collect food from food suppliers and together with, uh, there are some public and individuals that like to uh, donate food for us. So we will just um, collect those of the food and we will distribute to our service users um, bit by bit because um, we also need to uh, like uh, avoid there are many people uh, staying together. So uh, we will like uh, split the time slots into more time slots and allow uh, our service users to come to take the food. The administration is being urged to ensure a reciprocal arrangement from mainland authorities as it irons out details of a quarantine exemption scheme for key business travellers. Hong Kong has said cross-border business travellers won't have to observe a 14-day quarantine when entering the SAR in future, but for now there's no such exemption when they go back the other way. Candice Wong reports.
The SAR government announced last week that key business people whose activities are deemed beneficial to Hong Kong would be exempt from a mandatory 14-day quarantine in future. The plan's not actually been put in place yet and details are still being worked out, but some businessmen say they are puzzled by this apparent half-measure. Engineer Dan Van Hoy often travels up to his electronics factories across the border. He points out that while it's good that he wouldn't have to stay home for two weeks when coming back to Hong Kong is not terribly useful when he still has to observe a quarantine imposed by mainland authorities when he's going the other way. As a businessman, I'm a little frustrated because I'm unable to go to my factories up in Shenzhen and Dongguan area. Uh, it's a busy season. I don't understand why the government introduced this program when only half of the equation, half of the need is, is resolved. Let's face it, very few people, business people, engineers, factory managers in Hong Kong are going to risk two weeks of quarantine just to go up, as I typically do for one day or two days. I, I guess I don't quite understand why even introduce and offer this one-sided program, half of the equation, when very few people will be able to use it. The Chinese General Chamber of Commerce has also voiced concerns about the problem, saying the mainland's quarantine requirements is seriously affecting local companies. It had urged SAR government to negotiate with the central government to ease such restrictions for local business travellers. In response, a press officer at the Commerce and Economic Development Bureau told RTHK that the government is still in talks with their mainland counterparts over the matter. Lingnan University and several community groups are joining hands in a scheme to disinfect about a thousand subdivided flats using ultraviolet light. Jimmy Choi has details. It's seen as a way to help societies less well off fight against coronavirus. Lingnan University has partnered with groups including the Caritas Youth and Community Service, Health in Action and Grassroots Livelihood Alliance to provide free disinfection services at subdivided flats in districts including Kuntong, Yaochimong and Shemshoipo from April. They say poor hygiene conditions in these cramped homes increase the risk of a coronavirus outbreak, exposing low-income residents to greater risk. Rather than using chemicals such as chlorine to clean surfaces, volunteers use a UV lamp designed by Lingland University researchers to disinfect flats. This is how it works. They set up the lamp in the cubicles and wait outside for 15 to 30 minutes for the light to kill off germs. Organizers say UV lights can kill 95% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19. Dr. Albert Koh, director of the Lingnan Entrepreneurship Initiative, says UV light is commonly used for disinfection in hospitals and is also widely available. It's a very mature technology, right? It's a technology that's been used for 19 years and it's a technology that we can purchase easily. And the kind of technology we apply should be acceptable to the, to the user. For example, if I bring in a chemical kind of uh, disinfectant, some of the, the families may not like it, some of the users may not like it because of the smell, simply because of the smell, not the effectiveness or anything. But UV light is totally physical. So when you turn it on, it's disinfecting. When you turn it off, nothing, uh, there's no residual in the, in the room. But he said the sanitizing effect of one-off disinfection using UV light won't last for long, and people should thoroughly sanitize their homes once every week and maintain personal hygiene. Dr. Ko says about 150 households have benefited from the project so far, and more people will have their homes disinfected in the next couple of months.
what we do now is a pilot project. So what we have is until the end of June, we need to visit 1,000 uh, uh, subdivided units before the end of June. So uh, time is pressed, and um, we cannot afford to visit uh, many of the flats twice unless we see a obvious risk of the, the flats. Then we will try to visit more than once um, to try to minimize the risk. Dr. Ho says registration for the free service is still open, and they're planning to expand this pilot project after June by paying regular visits and disinfecting elderly care homes and other facilities. A deadly gas leak has rocked an industrial plant in the southern Indian state of Andhra Pradesh. Officials there say the synthetic chemical styrene leaked from the South Korean-owned LG Polymers plant. Anna Marie Evans spoke to our Delhi correspondent Morali Krishnan for an update. Climbing right now. It's about at least 11 people, including a child, are dead, and over 1,000 are sick. Uh, they've been admitted. Uh, of them, 25 of them are on ventilators right now as we speak. Uh, this was after a gas leaked overnight at this chem chemical plant. And uh, emergency services are now still at work. The National Disaster Response Force is, is clearing out many of the villages within uh, the periphery of four kilometers because the, the gas has affected many people living around this area. And um, what we know for sure, what we know, which is initial uh, investigations have shown that, you know, uh, the plant was shut for about 20 days because of the, uh, or 40 days rather, I'm sorry, because of the nationwide coronavirus lockdown. And when it was restarted past midnight, uh, uh, you know, it, that was when the gas leak happened. And, report, and reportedly, the initial probe has said that it was done without any precautions and proper guidelines. And at daybreak this morning, we found many people lying motionless in lanes, ditches, near houses. And uh, the emergency service are still at work in trying to clear out area, but more importantly, it's the hospitals right now are trying to attend to those who have inhaled this um, gas. Yes, uh, but uh, so it happened at 3 a.m. Now, this this uh, factory is owned, or this plant is owned by a South Korean firm, so you would expect to have fairly high standards, wouldn't you? I would imagine so, but the fact is... Uh, it's, this, it's, uh, it's, it happened in the out, outskirts of Vishakhapatnam. Vishakhapatnam is an industrial port town. And while they were re reopening the plant, you know, it started leaking in the early hours. Obviously, it was done without any proper uh, guidelines. And, and, the fact, and the fact is, uh, there were no proper procedures which were followed. That is what the initial investigation has established, despite the fact that there is a South Korean collaboration to this. But uh, that's what the further investigation and probe is going to sort of uncover why weren't guidelines followed. But, but right now, the immediate task at hand right now is trying to clear people, evacuate people within this uh, radius of this uh, chemical plant, three-kilometer radius. The situation is constantly being monitored. It's been almost about 12 hours, nine hours right now, and it's still being monitored. Uh, the National Disaster Response Force uh, uh, still has still pulling out people uh, who have been complaining of burning sensation in the eyes and extreme difficulty in breathing. And in fact, while they are doing this itself, many of these uh, emergency personnel have also collapsed, uh, despite the fact that they are well equipped with personal protection equipment. Uh, but that has not stopped them from also uh, fainting from while evacuating uh, people who have been injured from the gas leak.
So, I um, mean, obviously what we're hearing is that, you know, as you say, people were lying motionless, uh, but also, you know, uh, this impact of styrene on the lungs. But uh, what can uh, styrene, what sort of ailments can styrene lead to? Well, what we know is this styrene is basically a sort of a colourless, uh, light yellow, inflammable flammable liquid, and it's largely used for, uh, uh, you know, plastics and resins. And in this in this particular factory, it was done for making packaging, synthetic marble, as well as plastics. Uh, apparently, if you uh, excess inhalation of, sty of styrene vapors can cause irritation of the nose and throat, but then a larger amounts can also result in the onset of what 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 I hear un understand right now is styrene sickness, and that could cause headache and nausea. But in this case, I think you know the fa it was obviously a very concentrated form of styrene out here uh, because the, the, it started apparently uh, spewing these fumes in as soon as around 12:30, 12, 12 past midnight. And, uh, and, one, and and apparently, according to all eyewitness accounts, which I've seen, multiple videos, many of them are almost comparing it to the 1984 Bhopal gas leak, which is the world's in, uh, worst industrial disaster. Obviously, it's uh, and it's obviously one can imagine the kind of plight that people had to go through while while suffering this gas leak. 173 years ago, Ireland was starving. Three million people either died or were forced to emigrate due to the potato famine. Amid that crisis, a tribe of Native Americans collected $170, worth about 5,000 US dollars in today's money, and sent it to help the Irish people. Now, the Navajo Nation has itself been badly affected by the coronavirus and has reached out to the Irish people for help. Naomi O'Leary from the Irish Times takes up the story. Unfortunately, particularly the Navajo people have been disproportionately affected by the coronavirus pandemic. They have one of the worst outbreaks in the entire United States per capita. So, for example, in the state of New Mexico, uh, Native Americans account for 50% of cases, even though they're just 10% of the population. Part of the reason for this is a combination of historical factors. Um, the place where the Navajo and Hopi people live is very remote. And it's very ill-served with infrastructure. For example, a third of households don't have running water. And that makes it really difficult to observe things like hand-washing advice. And there's also a number of other factors like poverty, a 38% poverty rate, 50% unemployment rate. That means these people are much more vulnerable to disease. Those stories were part of the NewsRap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Steve Dunthon from our newsroom. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, don't hold gatherings or join large-scale activities. Event organizers should adopt contingency measures to postpone or cancel events or temporarily close facilities. The public should avoid crowded places as far as possible. Don't host or join gatherings with family and friends. Find an open space to stretch. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. These are the tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. Remember. Moments to remember. Moments to bring back the old favorites to your years. With my help, Ray Cordero.
This is Nostalgia Time. <laughs> 